Good evening. I'm driving again. Uh, long day. Snowy, although the wind has died down, now it's just bitterly cold. We're waiting for my, my, uh, well, waiting to get home. I gotta drop one more set of baskets off at um, a site in Natawash, and then I get to head home. And I think it's time for me to open a huge can of worms. I want to think about this whole series is going to be probably called the simulation. And uh, I am thinking about things that kind of push me beyond my comfort zone. I get excited. I can I can get excited about them. I can get a little apprehensive about them. But I, but I, I'm thinking about a, a a radically different picture. Although, as I think it, it, it sometimes fits um, the biblical description, maybe better. Uh, what if what if you had something that described described something you had never seen before? You would not have. I mean, you would not have the ability to to comprehend either the description or. Vice versa, if you saw the event, you would not have the words to, to verbalize it. So, I think this happens in the Bible. The book of Revelation. i tell you what. If you read portions of it, and you look at a modern-day battlefield, I think it's possible to say, wow, I bet that's what he was seeing. Now, that's difficult for people to believe because then that, that sort of demands that the book of Revelation not be this mythical um, this, this mythical book with archetypal um, pictures, but that it could actually be a vision of the future, which is what a lot of Christians believe is happening. But I, I'm thinking particularly of a place in which he describes this horde of gigantic um, grasshoppers descending. And I'm just like, you know what? If if some guy in, uh, you know, 200 AD were shown a, well, actually 100 AD, I don't know, roughly when the Apostle John was in uh, was incarcerated. But we'll just say roughly 100, 100 AD. Um, if you could have shown him a video of Apache helicopters attacking, it's like you wouldn't have had, I mean, if you could imagine someone that long ago 
viewing something modern, I think you would say, yeah, that's the kind of language I would use to describe them. Anyway, that thought is simply there to say that, that, that it would not be unusual to not be able to comprehend something. And then when a new picture comes up, you would you would suddenly be able to say, you know what, that lends the perspective from which I can understand what this person was trying to say. Now, that enters into, uh, bumps into a whole lot of questions about what is the Bible. Is it this inspired word of God or is it the collection of, of archetypal truths? And uh, it could be both the inspired word of God, but is it the prophetic word of God? I don't wish to enter those. Although I would say this. It appears to me that, that ancients did a lot more consistent thinking um, through systems and hypothesis, uh, hypothetical situations precisely because they did not have nearly so many distractions. So. I want to look at the biblical story from a different lens. And to do that, we have to we have to look at some some pretty core core aspects of life. So, the first thing I think I want to look at is, is that let's look at ignorance and knowledge. So, so, we'll say humans, we'll start with, with humans already being on the scene, because in some ways it's pointless to start earlier, um, because we, we can't really comprehend what it is to not be human, because we are. We can theorize what it's like to not be human, um, but that would in all cases be theoretical. So, if we're discussing history before humans were on the scene, especially if we're discussing consciousness, but even, even if we're trying to discuss some sort of reality, reality is in so many ways inseparable from perception that I think that there is some wisdom in simply saying, okay, we will, we will assume that the relevant parts of the story begin, uh, let's just say, one week before humans appear. Um, maybe it's not dumb to, to start a, a, a biblical story that way. Um, because we, we really, to think that we know an awful lot before knowing was possible, I, I, I think, is... It's like imagining your life five years from now. There are so many variables that the further out you go, there are... It, it comes to the place where you are almost certainly mistaken. You know, I, I can envision my life five minutes from now with pretty good resolution. Ten minutes from now, 
with there's only a few things that might happen and, and an hour from now but there's more that could have happened and a day from now and a month from now by the time you get like five years from now the likelihood that you are wrong is far far higher than the likelihood that you are right right there's just so many things and I, I think maybe the same thing is true about prehistory but it doesn't matter let's just talk about knowledge and ignorance there is a point in human history where knowledge would have been limited to what you could think or experience what you could observe or or what you could you could think that's all that you had everything else was in the domain of ignorance and then speech was developed and suddenly that that widened your horizons immensely you had the ability to know your thoughts know your observations and know the observations and thoughts of the people with whom you could talk but the people with whom you could talk were co-located with you and so you could assume that whether their thoughts differed at least most of their experience didn't differ too much so you could be sitting in your cave and, and you both had seen pretty much the same things although with language you could say guess what I saw on my way to work today I saw a saber-toothed tiger or whatever oddity came across your path okay so that's language so there was a huge jump in knowledge and then there was the development of a system to record and now with language being able to be written down you could you could know what had happened before so you could have history written down and you could transport a message without having to transport the person and to a certain extent you could copy that so so, so you could transport the message of one person to multiple places he couldn't have gone there himself so we have this, this other, another huge increase in knowledge. So what's next? Uh, I suppose the next would be the, the, the printing press. Wow, another expansion of knowledge. Now you could take something and make a copy for everyone. So this wasn't just me expressing my observations and experiences in a letter but now I'm experiencing I'm expressing this to anyone who can afford to buy a copy that's pretty pretty impressive um, what's next telegraph telephone okay now you could get information to more places more quickly and so there was a, a speed factor as well as a uh, 
distance factor that was being overcome. The next, I mean, you could you could find all sorts of different stopping points and pick which ones are significant, but but probably the next I would do is um, the ability to search a database. Okay, um, I think that's that's pretty profound. That the computer. I mean, we could do that before with a card catalog or something. Um, but but the ability to to put information, because now the challenge is is becoming. Um, I'm sorry, I jump ahead. I, if if you haven't figured that out, then then you haven't listened to me. I'll try to finish one sentence before I start the next. Okay, so. So the ability to put information into some place where you can retrieve the information you want without having to sift through all of it. Okay, that's not a new phenomenon, but man, the computer has vastly improved our ability to access specific knowledge, which is important, right? Because as you gain more and more knowledge, then you have this this limitation. You don't have time to read everything about the topic to find the one thing you want. So, I mean, again, the technology, the concept is old. I don't know when the first Bible concordance was written. Um, probably not interested enough to figure out when. But, I mean, that was an example. So the whole Bible was broken down um, by, by various scholars into every word so you could find out where every word was so that you could access knowledge. Well, you still could read the whole Bible. There wasn't a limiting, but now when you look at how much information is out there, finding that information is, is a huge problem. And it is a increase of knowledge that we could use our um, logic, um, I don't even know what SQL stands for, but I know on a database you can you can write these logic questions. So you can find a page that references this and this, but not that. Um, rather complex. And, and the better you can write your query to query your database, um, the, the more you can get to the information for which you you are looking. Um, and then you add into that the, the algorithms that allow uh, allow certain predictions to be made about where that information you're looking for might be found. Um, you add into that Google Translator. So if I get a, a poem in, not poem, Poem's a bad example, although that's just the thing that was in my mind because I've recently done that. Um, a poem in Persian. Someone sent to me a, a Persian poem. And I got the words just with my with my phone and being connected to the internet. So so knowledge is just vastly increasing. The ability to 
find the piece of knowledge which is of interest to you is vastly increasing. Although we are kind of up against a hard stop. And right now, that hard stop is that knowledge is limited by the rate at which you can take it in. And that's a problem. Okay, so you can't take in infinite knowledge because you have no way of taking it in. Although I think one of the things that's going to be shown to be uh, sort of in retrospect someday, one of the huge things is that our smartphones have enabled us to maximize if we wish to. Some do, some don't. But to maximize time that we could not have otherwise used to, to disseminate or gather knowledge. This is a perfect example. Um, without this this phone and the ability of this little this thing I carry around in my pocket to record hours of my voice, I would not be using the time in the car to to record my thoughts. Okay, now. You know, at what point did this start? Each one of these had been a gradual progression. So there were the radio, so you could hear other people's thoughts. At least you weren't wasting your time. And, and then you could have a cassette and, and then all of the other recording devices. Well, first eight track, I suppose, in the car. And then the cassette. So you could select which pieces of, of knowledge you wanted. But right now, reading to yourself is the fastest way to take in knowledge. But that isn't seen as a huge challenge. What could we do? Is it possible to interface with the human brain in such a way that you could put things into your brain that would be available for recall? So you wouldn't have to spend the time knowing that you know them. So roughly imagine imagine that we could find some some break the code in our brain of how information is stored. And and certainly there's people trying to do that. And so what if you could take your local phone book? That proves I'm an old guy, right? Because phone books are a thing of the past, but be that as it may, imagine that you could take that phone book and put it into your brain. Right now, the only way to put that phone book into your brain would be to read each entry and to make the effort to memorize it. But what if you could put it into your brain and then someday when you needed a phone number, just think about it and know it. Now it's interesting to think at that moment, at that point where we're dreaming of doing that, is it possible that that is a hard stop? I mean, humans aren't born with a port in their head that they can plug in and, and upload knowledge. 
okay? And yet there's a whole lot of brain activity that we can measure and we can find out if we if we are having brain activity and, and we can't exactly untangle how that brain activity, we can't translate it, but it is, again, it is not, it's not unlikely that somebody will figure that out. I would definitely countenance somebody who would claim, somebody who, who believed that God created humans, who might make an argument that would say that that is the point at which we're talking about the apocalypse. And I... I could believe that. At the same time, I'm, I'm really, I, I'm really I question that because the other side is then. Well, what if we created our artificial intelligence? Okay, so maybe the humans can never upload that knowledge, and. So, so maybe that is the limit of humanity, and then people suggest, well, okay, what if, what if our artificial systems could do that? And then the question is, well, what if artificial systems could do that so well that humans were unnecessary? And then, basically, what if an unembodied life, an unembodied thought, made humans irrelevant, and then to the point that what if an unembodied thinking machine got rid of humans because they serve no logical purpose. Okay, now we're, we're getting into, into end-of-the-world scenarios, all of which I think have a, a, an eerie element to them. That's all I'll say. But what I do want to say is that if you look at this trend that I have just drawn for you, the trend is that more and more knowledge, the facets of knowledge are opening up to us. There's the ability to know more things from more places. And as you know more things, you diminish your individuality. There are more people who are thinking the same thing, who are, who are. And so one way of describing it is that we have been on a tra trajectory of every consciousness becoming more and more a part of every other conscious thing. Now, the Christian 
hypothesis is that life is eternal. That, that, that we're talking about um, existence on some eternal scale. Others, other religions answer it differently, um, but there does seem to be a, a common thread of difficulty in figuring out what happens after that or before that, which is essentially a, a question of eternity. So if you are thinking about that question of what does eternity look like for conscious beings eternity looks like everything becomes more like everything else and the more you are like everything else the, the, the more you are less yourself you don't have a personality. We don't get more unique. It's hard to make an argument that we are getting more unique. Solomon claimed back then that nope, that, that, that all any claim to uniqueness is already gone. I don't know if he was accurate then, but it, it certainly would seem to be the case now that, that any uniqueness is, is pretty much gone. Thankfully, people coalesce around certain ideas, which gives somebody the ability to break free from that from that little click around an idea. But but to think that you are coming up with something brand new is is probably presumptuous, at least. Maybe it's downright arrogant. Doesn't mean I don't think that about myself, but. We are on the way to becoming everybody becoming part of everything in terms of consciousness. Well, the same thing is true in the material domain. Everything is becoming more a part of everything else. More and more things are getting mixed. It's odd. We have we have gravity. Things for some reason attract each other. And so they keep attracting until in our universe there are places where there are things that have attracted so much stuff that they've gotten so much mass that they attract absolutely everything. Anywhere close. Black holes are called. And so Physicists have, have theorized that, that one explanation of the universe is that we, we uh, somehow collapse and everything gets sucked into this, this black hole. Everything is, is so attracted to each other, it becomes part, that it finally, in some mechanism, explodes again blows itself apart into distinct planets and distinct regions only to be sucked back in again 
So the physicist, I think, would, would claim everything is becoming more and more everything. Chemical elements seem to be unique and to have a uniqueness. So maybe that's a hard stop. Maybe, maybe that is, but their structure is, is becoming more and more. Um, the things that, 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 that separate them into, into their own regions seem to be working the opposite way. Everything is becoming everything. Now, if everything's becoming everything, then someday everything would be everything. Because we're talking about eternity. We're not talking about lengths of time that we have already experienced. We're talking about lengths of time even further than that. And, and the Christian can say, well, we don't have to worry about that because before that we, we jump to a different kind of celestial existence. But that still creates the problem in that celestial existence where our, in terms of matter, we, we are we aren't anchored to matter but this celestial existence that we we have we are that much more able to know everything Paul suggests that he says for then we shall know even as we ourselves are known we, we, we will be um, we will see Jesus and we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. So, this trend for everything to become more and more a part of everything. If there is an ultimate consciousness called God. And, and if you listen to my stuff, you know that's that's what I believe. I, I God is a force that describes these procedures, but I think he has a personality, and to have personality there's a consciousness there. So I believe that there is a consciousness which is called God. And this consciousness which is called God would know that. which I think presents God with the first <laughs> with the first big challenge and that is that in the environment that he has created in this world that exists everything is someday going to be everything else Everything will know everything. Everything will be everything. 
Now that isn't a problem for three of the attributes of God. God says he's omniscient. He knows everything. And someday everything will know everything because everything will be part of everything. Okay. God is everywhere. Well, that may be the way in which God is omnipresent. And that, that may be the way in which God is omnipresent. Is that everything becomes part of him. And then there's the, the claim that God is omnipotent. Which means he has the sum of all power. So none of that is challenged by the fact that the world may be rushing on to a, a, an existence in which everything is everything, where there is no uniqueness, where all knowledge is held by all consciousness. And there certainly are religions that have suggested that, that everything participates in God and is part of God, that God is the sum total of all life. And I, I don't think that's an unreasonable claim. But there's one characteristic of God which is a problem. And that is that God is love. I think that's I think that's a good launching point for the next segment. So rather than to enter into it now, let's pause and we will explore what it means that God is love if the world is destined to become a unity. <laughs> 